Hello. Thank you for downloading this sermon by Pastor Casey Helenchek. Casey is a missionary pastor with Village Missions. Currently, Casey and his wife Hope and their six children serve the Bangor Community Church and the surrounding area of Bangor, California. Village Missions exists to glorify Jesus Christ by developing spiritually vital community churches in rural North America. We now invite you to open your Bibles and journey with us. All right, well, grab your Bibles with me if you would and open up to Luke chapter 22. Uh, As we continue through Luke 22, we are seeing and we have seen that all the pieces have been brought together. All the pieces have been put in place. Uh, These are the, the last days leading up to even the last day in the life of Jesus and the The divine eternal plan was coming to fulfillment and everything was taking shape. Jesus and the 12 were in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Jesus had been teaching and rebuking and correcting uh, the scribes and the chief priests and all the other religious leaders uh, in, in in the temple. And so they were fed up. And after three years of being fed up with him, they were ready to kill him. So Judas went to them, made plans to betray Jesus. Jesus sent Peter and John to secretly prepare the Passover meal. Uh, And uh, now the Passover meal is ready for Jesus, for the 12. And nobody knew where the meeting, where they were meeting. So Jesus was not going to be interrupted before or during the meal. That brings us to, to brings us current so far in Luke's gospel. So go ahead and look at this morning's passage, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. I will, as always, be reading out of the English Standard Version. Encourage you, grab your preferred translation and follow along so you're reading for yourself the Word of God. Luke 22, verses 14 through 23, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke writes, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you now, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. and When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance for me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them could be who was going to do this? God bless the reading of his holy and inspired word. So we pick up with with Jesus and his disciples at the Passover dinner. And and they're ready to enjoy the company. They're ready to enjoy the food. Uh, Jesus is reclining with his his friends. And how they, they did that in those days is they would lean forward on their left elbow their feet would be out behind them and their heads would be at the table and they'd eat with their, their right hands. Uh, and, and so they're leaning in 
uh, reclining and leaning in. Jesus tells them he earnestly desired to have this meal with them. He he strongly wished he needed this to happen. Uh, And the, the disciples wouldn't have quite understood what Jesus was saying with that. Because they, they'd shared Passover meals before. It's not the first one that they've had. So it's not like, okay, we finally get to do this together. And they didn't know what was coming. They didn't realize what this meal would become, that it would uh, be the last meal that they would share together before all the stuff that, that would go down. And so they didn't, they would not have understood what Jesus, why Jesus so passionately wanted to share this uninterrupted time and meal with his friends. This was the last chance that Jesus would have. Last chance that he would have to share a meal with his closest friends. Last chance that he would have to fellowship with them as family, as a group of close close friends. And this would be the last chance he would have to teach them, to warn them, to train them. And this is why he took so much, so much, such great pains with John and Peter and the the cloak and dagger, the covert mission to make sure that this dinner would take place and that there would be no interruptions. This was the last Passover meal before Jesus's death and resurrection. His death and resurrection would be the fulfillment of Passover. Jesus was what the Passover was looking forward to. Jesus is the unblemished and spotless lamb that would be sacrificed once and for all for the forgiveness of sins. It is Jesus's blood that covers over us so that the wrath of God passes over us. It is his fulfillment of the Passover that frees us from the bondage and of the slavery to sin, allows us to enter the promised land that is the kingdom of God. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And this is what much of the Old Testament is pointing towards. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the, this, this Savior that God had promised to Israel. Uh, they, they didn't, he wasn't named Jesus in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, but this is who, exactly who they were looking for. This is what they had all been waiting for. And this night is when, in my opinion, when we see the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Many will say it happened at Pentecost, and I understand why. But tonight is the night that Jesus institutes the new covenant. And so for me, this is the key night that that, that starts. Uh, the rest of, the old, of what the Old Testament was pointing towards is, is Jesus' glorious second coming. They don't understand that when they're, when they're going through the scriptures. There's, they only see it as a one-time thing that all will be fulfilled in this one coming. Uh, but we see Jesus fulfilled the first coming and is pointing towards a second one that will fill the rest of what's going on. And this is one of the key differences, too, between the Passover and the communion. Passover is looking forward to the first coming of the Messiah, the promised Savior. It's looking forward to this point in history, in time. Jesus is there. He's ready to die. He's ready to shed his blood. He's ready to to give his life as a sacrifice. Communion remembers that, but it it commemorates that. And it looks forward to his second coming. Jesus says, until 
I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, as it is put in Revelation 19. He's looking forward to that time. Uh, elsewhere, I think it's in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says um, that this is that we celebrate communion as a way of sharing the gospel, of, of remembering the gospel, of preaching the gospel. Uh, and so after, as Jesus is doing this, he is looking ahead to something that, that his disciples wouldn't realize was coming. But Jesus is setting up and he's putting in a place. And so after the Passover meal, after they're done eating that meal, Jesus explicitly sets up what we call communion. You see, first, this is a fully communal thing. This is not an individual thing, but it is intended and it is instituted to take place amongst the church family, among fellow believers, fellow Christians, not alone and not amongst or including the general public. Now, is our non-believers welcome in here to hear about it, to see it, to, to share the gospel? Of course. It's not that if there's a non-believer here, we can't do it. That's not what he's, what he's saying, what we're saying. But this, the celebration, the, the, the institute, the sacrament is for believers. It is also not just for the worthy or the put together or the perfect uh, Christians. But this is for all believers, warts and all. Jesus and these disciples have spent three years together. They've traveled, they've shared meals, they've shared lodging, they've shared the ups and downs, and Jesus specifically has been sharing his power and his knowledge, the kingdom of God. He's been sharing these things with uh, the disciples and especially the, the 12. Now, this night, he is sharing his blood and his body. Nothing is being held back from this, from this group of people. Nothing is being held back from them, not even Jesus's life. And Jesus here uses symbolism and figurative language. Uh, And he does so in order to help us understand what communion is, what it represents. He tells the disciples, the bread is my body. Like this, this bread will be broken apart. Jesus's body will be broken apart. It'll be broken on the cross. Like the bread will be shared with the disciples, his body and sacrifice will be shared with all believers. This bread is given to the disciples by Jesus, just as his life and his broken body on the cross is given over by Jesus. The bread does not become his body. Jesus is not physically present in the bread, like some claim. But the bread represents what he did, what he gave, and what happened to him. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember not just his life. Remember not just his resurrection. Remember not just his ascension. Remember what happened on the cross. As one commentator points out, this shows the centrality of the cross to the Christian faith. And you may ask, why do we have to continue to be reminded time and time again? Of course, as a Christian, of course, I won't forget what Jesus did for me. Of course, I'm going to remember that he did this. And, and maybe mentally, intellectually, you won't forget that fact that he did that. That's not what we're, what we're looking at there. Because we do forget. We forget, if not completely, then practically. And we take it for granted at times. 
And so Jesus tells us to do this often in remembrance of him, to intentionally focus and refocus, to ground ourselves, to remind ourselves exactly what it means that Jesus died on the cross, what it means that he did it for us, and what it means that he gave himself up for us and what the results of that are. We have to continually be reminding ourselves, continually going back, continually reading the scriptures, continually bowing ourselves before God and saying, thank you, Jesus. And so Jesus then takes the cup of wine. Remember, the cup uh, as symbolism is often associated with God's wrath. Jesus takes the cup and he says the wine symbolizes his blood. Jesus' blood absorbs God's wrath. Jesus' blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Scripture makes it clear, New Testament and Old, the wages of sin is death. Blood needs to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. The, the single most important day in Old Testament Israel, uh, and maybe today as well, uh, arguably more of, over than Passover, is a day of atonement. This is the, the one day a year that, that they do what God told them to do and God forgives the sins of all, all of the, the, the Old Testament covenant people. Uh, Leviticus 16 gets into the details. We're not going to read that right now. Go back and read it. Um, there's a lot of blood. Uh, the gist of it is this one day of year, the people would, would have all of the, the wrath of their sins Put upon one goat. This goat would be sacrificed. His blood would be sprinkled throughout the temple, the most high places, and the altar, and so on. And then another goat would be brought in, still alive. The priest would symbolically place the sins of Israel upon this goat and release him into the wilderness. Blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Sins were put upon this sacrificial goat and sent off into the wilderness. Point, the point being that it takes blood to cover up and atone for sins. It takes, sin takes atoning to be dealt with. And that's what Jesus did for us. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the cup of the new covenant. So what is the, the difference between the old and the new covenant? Well, in one easy way, the Old Testament's the old covenant, New Testament's the new covenant. That doesn't answer your question though. Exodus 24, 3 through 8, shows us the Mosaic covenant, the, the, the covenant that God made through Moses to the people of Israel. And it says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all of the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. 
That's the, the Mosaic covenant that, that God gave them his word, his rules, the way to live, way to act, a way to worship, a way to, to do just about everything in their daily life. If you read through the, the, the books of Moses, it's detailed down to where what we don't have today and how to live a life in accordance with God's rules. And they, the people said, we will do everything you say. They don't. They don't even for a day. We don't. Not even for a day. The, but this is the covenant. Do this and you will be blessed. Do this and I will take care of you. And there was a blood sacrifice to, to make that covenant. Covenant is, not, is, is more than just a promise, but it is an, a bond made with blood. So this was, again, this is dependent on the people following the rules that God laid out. And the new covenant, so that covenant is dependent on our obedience. The new covenant was completely and totally dependent on the work of Christ. Thank goodness. The old had the laws, the rules of God written in stone, physically written down for the people to read. The new has the law written in our hearts as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. The old was a type. It was a shadow. It pointed towards the new covenant. The blood, the sacrifices, all of it pointed directly at what would be fulfilled once and for all in Jesus Christ. The old covenant was not salvific. The old covenant, by, by obeying the rules of the old covenant, did not save people's souls eternally. Sacrifices were made time and time again, over and over the sacrifices were animal blood. And so therefore, we're not able to truly atone for human sin. The new covenant is salvific. The new covenant saves. The new covenant is that Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. That he shed his blood, human blood. That he had lived a perfect and sinless life. So he could indeed atone for human sin. The sin of all humanity. Or at least all who would believe. Jesus fulfills all of the promises, all of the foreshadowing, all of the prophecies, all of the, every word of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. And so much more it appears in the Old Covenant is fulfilled with the new. Uh, GotQuestions.org sums up the difference this way. It says the Old Covenant was governed by a law that prescribed correct behavior and that people continually broke. It continued, contained a sacrificial system that only temporarily removed sins. The sacrifices were administered by priests who represented the people of Israel to God, but the people could not enter God's presence themselves. The new covenant is governed by a law that is in, internalized by the people of God and energized by his spirit. The sins of the people are forgiven and removed once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the people of God have direct, intimate access to him. Finally, Gentiles who believe are also included in the new covenant. That is the old versus the new. The old fulfilled in the new. Now, after Jesus sets up the new covenant, after he shares this with the, with the 12, he, tw he tells them, one of you, one of you 12 right here, one of you is going to betray me. And we, we think about this. This is a, a group who is closer than family. 
one of these guys, one of this family, who have been through thick and thin together, who have been through ups and downs, good times and bad, easy times and hard, one of them is going to betray that trust and that bond that has been forged. Jesus makes it clear, I already know that this is going to happen. I'm not speculating. I'm not guessing. I'm not reading into what I see. I know it's going to happen. I'm not surprised by it. It's factored into this plan and I'm allowing it to happen. However, that does not excuse the guilt or the responsibility of the one who will be doing the betraying. This does not alleviate the sin that will be and is being committed. You do not get to say afterwards, well, I did it for God's glory because look at the result. No. That's this, this statement that, that one of them would betray him, this shook the disciples. They started questioning amongst themselves who it might be. I imagine it was probably equal parts self-reflection on one hand, thinking, could I be capable of doing what he's saying? And then blame passing on the other. Well, you know, I, it's probably Peter. Jesus did just recently call him Satan after all. So it's probably him. Truth is that each and every one of us is, is guilty of betraying God. Each and every one of us, every time we sin, betray his love and his grace and his goodness. I love the way R.C. Sproul says it. He says, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. When it comes to ourselves, we don't like thinking of sin as that big of a deal, especially those little piddly everyday ones that no one else sees. We just get caught up in the moment and say something or, or think something or whatever. That's, that's not that big of a deal. Yes, it's a sin. Yes, I'm sorry, God. Yes, please forgive me. That's not a big deal. It is. It really is. It is cosmic treason against a cosmic God, creator of the universe. And all of us are guilty of committing, committing treason against the king, of betraying him. Jesus gave his life for those who betrayed him. Jesus showed us in this the epitome of loving your enemies. We, the church, the universal church, all believers, and us right here together this morning, we are a church of forgiven betrayers of forgiven traitors. And that's one of the things that we are to continually remember. Why we are to do this in remembrance of him. Jesus gave himself. He shed his blood. He purchased forgiveness for us, for you. If you believe as much as he did for the disciples he was talking to that very night. He loves you enough to allow the wrath the justly deserved wrath of God to pass over you, to shed his blood, to cover us, that you and I and all who believe should rightly absorb that wrath of God, but his blood covers us so that it passes over us. That is what we celebrate. That is what we remember at the Lord's Supper. Not that intellectual fact nugget in our brain. Yes, Jesus died for me. Thank you, Jesus go on with my life. Not that, okay, take a piece of bread, take a, a sip of juice or wine. Okay. Did our monthly good deed for the day. 
This is so important to the Christian life, so important to the Christian faith, so important to the, the, the life and the faith of the church. Again, Jesus didn't give this to us as an individual thing to do so that we could go home and do it alone and not have to worry about people around us. Yes, there are extreme circumstances. There's exceptions to everything. But this was instituted. The sacrament that he instituted that very night was as a communal thing to celebrate and to remember together as a church family, as fellow believers, as children of God, as co-heirs with Christ. Why are we those people? Because of what God did for us. Because of what he gave. Because of the blood he shed. Because of these things. Otherwise, we might as well be the goat who all the sins was put upon and sent out to the wilderness. Otherwise, we might as well still be in Egypt. Bonded to the Pharaoh. Slave to building the pyramids and all the other things he wants built. Those are those, even those things were symbols of what we are going through. That Jesus saved and freed us from that bondage. The Passover was a celebration, saved us from the, the wrath of God, the angel of death for the firstborn son, and freed us from the bondage of, of, of Egypt. It got us into the wilderness so we could get to the promised land. It's what Jesus did for each and every one of us. The wrath of God has passed over us because we are in Christ. We are freed from the bondage of sin. We are now wandering in the wilderness in this life, in this earth. We are at once a citizen of that promised land and yet still not in it yet. So we are, we are wandering in the wilderness right now. And when we come to that point, we will be granted entrance into the kingdom of God because of what Jesus did that very night. That is why we are told to remember time and time again. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. There's not, there's not words strong enough to thank you for what you've done. There is no salvation outside of Jesus's death on the cross outside of his resurrection, outside of his ascension, outside of his shed blood covering us from your wrath, Lord, there is no salvation. So thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you have shown us in such clear ways what it is that has been done. Thank you that you are just, that there is wrath, to, that sin needs to be dealt with. And help us to remember how big of a deal our sin is. Help us to not condemn ourselves when we sin, but to recognize how big of a deal it is to seek your forgiveness, to remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And thank you for, for all that you do, for your grace, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash B-A-N-G-O-R Community Church C-A, all one word. If you would like to connect with Pastor Casey, please hop on over to CaseyHolenchuk.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K.com. 
Thank you and God bless. Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's Word. If you've listened this far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at kcholenchik.com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.